Some of the things that we thought about last week, it is, yeah, a reminder for us to remember the importance of us being relevant in the sense that we don't forget what it took for us to get here, what the Lord saved us from, who we were before we came to saving faith. And so this week, we want to delve a little bit deeper in Rome, in Nehemiah 9. And we're not reading the whole thing because it actually is an extremely long passage. But there are a few things I do want you to take out of this passage today, just so we can know what the framework will be. And so first thing I want to read a few verses down in Nehemiah 9, it says, which will be really the important thing for us today. He says, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the land, to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warmed them by your spirit through yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Y'all, this is a really important text and point for us today, because what we are reading here, Nehemiah is instructing the people that in all that had happened, though they were experiencing some victory, though they were experiencing some high in their spiritual walk, and maybe they were coming to the end of a very difficult journey, what they learn is, but don't forget what it took for you to get here. More importantly, don't forget what it took in your own lives to get you in the place of exile, to get you to this place right now. All throughout this series, we've been talking about how God rebuilt and renewed this place that they have come back to, and we're connecting that to the work that the Lord has also called us to do. But that is consciously remembering that in all that the Lord is doing and all that the Lord has done, It is a response to my relationship with him. Right at the beginning, I want you to hear something else that they did, which is going to be vitally important for us to understand as believers. In the first verse, it says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. 
and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins. And they confessed the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read them from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Y'all, it is vitally important that if we are going to be the kind of Christians that the Lord has called us to be, not only is it essential that we remember where we came from, but it is also that we offer up confession and repentance for those things that we have done. Has the guilt of something ever tormented you worse than what you actually did? Has anybody ever done something and nobody knows about it and it's that fear that maybe somebody is going to find out what I've been doing, where I've been going, who I've been talking to. And even though nobody knows, it is the fear that you're going to be found out that causes more torment to you than the actual thing. I think every single one of us has experienced what it feels like to actually confess something And we all know, while it may not have necessarily felt good in the short term, when you confess those things that you've been holding on to, that you've been sweeping under the rug, that you've been praying nobody knows about, the Lord has this amazing ability in the long term to provide you freedom and grace and the mercy you need to live and actually do the work for him that he has called you to do. I think all of us knows it is that tension between knowing I've got unrepentant sin in my life. I want to do the work of the Lord, but there are also some things that I haven't confessed. There are some things that I've been holding on to that I hope nobody knows about. And it stifles you from actually being able to do the work that the Lord has essentially called you to do. Now, I do believe that it is a difficult thing for us to be accountable. It's a difficult thing for us to confess our own sins, but if it's hard enough for me to confess my own sins, if it's hard enough for me to be accountable for my own sins, then what this text says is actually more convoluted than that. Because it says not only did they come together, they got away from the foreigners, and they all confessed their sins, But they went a step further. They even confessed the sins of the people who came before them. It's hard enough to be accountable for my own stuff, but now you're asking me to be accountable for the stuff of the people that I had nothing to do with. I believe the last few years have lended much to debates about who's responsible for the past, right? Whether we're talking about the issues of race, whether we're talking about the issues that we've seen in the corporate world and in society about sexual abuse of the past, the one thing that people struggle with is, well, who do we hold accountable for this? Who is responsible for these things? Who's accountable for the past? And that's a real question I think we've all got to be able to not only answer today, but we've also got to reason within ourselves. Who's accountable for our past? A few things I want you to think about. After Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they have to continue to live, 
It's one thing to have to continue to live knowing you've sinned, but they also have to continue to live watching everybody else be affected by their original sin. They didn't just disappear, nor did the effects. So they have to live with the fact that we brought sin into this world, and now we've got to watch people die, people get sick, people fight. We've got to watch all the evil in this world, knowing that we were the ones who actually introduced it. Can't imagine how hard that might have been. When Abraham sinned and had Ishmael, it's not like Ishmael and his mother disappeared. They had to continue to live with the effects of his wrong. And while he goes on to be our father of faith, he has that permanent stamp of his sin that lives on. It didn't just appear, disappear. When David had Uriah killed, yes, David confesses his sin, Yes, he repents of it, and he is what I believe truly repentant of that sin. But what we also see and realize is just because he was repentant, just because he was confessional, did not mean that Uriah didn't stay dead and that the baby that he had had with Bathsheba still died. Yeah, he confessed those sins, but there were two people who were still dead because of those sins. Y'all, we have an obligation as believers to be accountable for the things that have happened in the past, even if we don't feel like they are directly related to us and the lives that we live. Paul has written the majority of the New Testament. He had been persecuting Christians, and when he comes to saving faith, one thing that we see clearly is that a lot of people have a hard time reconciling that the man who was killing Christians is now one of them. On top of the fact that the ones that he didn't help kill and the ones that he persecuted or beaten, well, they still lived. And they had to live with the effects and the scars and the abuse of what Paul had done in his past. And I firmly believe that one of his great struggles is that the Lord reminded him in order to keep him humble of who he used to be. What am I getting at with this text today? Well, I think we need to understand what it means to fully be a believer, to fully be present and to exist and live in this world in a way where people can talk to us and understand that, yes, our lives are layered and they are complex and we are not excusing what has happened in the past, but we are owning it as believers. And not just owning it, but saying that those things that happened to me, that happened to you in the past, things that I may have done, well, they were the catalyst for how God has saved me. That's what it means to fully be. And while I may not be completely responsible for the past, as a Christian, I am always accountable to the past. We got to this last week, but I really want us to focus in on it today and and understand even more importantly why it is that we need to be accountable. In my house, I will often see 
something on the floor, and y'all know we got 100 kids, so somebody will eventually pass by the thing that's on the floor, and I'm like, you know, so-and-so, pick it up, even Winter, I don't care who it is, whoever walks by, pick it up, and all of them, except for Winter, will basically say, well, I ain't do it, I ain't drop it, and I'm like, well, I didn't ask you who dropped it, and I asked you if you dropped it, I'm asking you, because you see it like I see it, pick it up. It's not that you are responsible for dropping it, but you are accountable seeing that it is on the floor out of a duty to one another and a duty to this house to be accountable enough to just pick it up. There is a difference between being accountable and being the responsible party. Even if you are not responsible, that doesn't negate the fact that you are also still accountable. And what I think we all have to learn as Christians is there are wrongs and offenses, sins. Y'all remember the church hurt stuff, things that legitimately happened in the past. While I may not be the necessary cause of it, if it happened and people explain the hurt that it caused, I'm accountable to be there for them and not hurt them in the ways that they've been hurt before to not rehash the traumas of their past. I have a duty to them and my Savior to be sensitive in that way. And I'll be honest, there, there are lots of things that disturb me about what Christianity has done in the last several years, but one of them is not the least of it that so many situations have come up over the last few years where there have been things that happened in the past whether it's a racial issue, whether it's a sexual immorality issue, and the typical stance of Christians is just forget about it. Oh, that, that, that's in the past. It's, it's, it's not significant. Just, just get over it. And what that says to people who don't know is that not only do we lack the level of transparency that we should have as Christians, but we lack the level of accountability that takes ownership for wrong. And if anybody should be more accountable in the world, it should be Christians, because here we are, labeled as Christians with our own sin debt that we didn't even pay for. We put that burden on the back of Jesus. If anybody should understand accountability, it should be us. Yet, unfortunately, across the board, I would just say this, in all levels of Christianity, what calls itself Christianity, there has been a gross, a gross lack of accountability. A gross lack of accountability. Whether that's so-and-so pastor falling because they had sexual immorality, whether that's so-and-so organization misusing funds, or even supporting political candidates negating the fact that they have a very relevant past to what you say they are to you. We have a duty as believers when we see sin and the effects of it to be accountable to it. And I'm here to tell you today that the we can't change the past approach is just as harmful as it is damning and dismissive. Because when people hear you say, I can't change the past, what they really hear is, I don't care, get over it. What me, get over it. Build a bridge, get over it. You still talking about that, get over it. 
But what if people aren't asking you to change the past? I think we sometimes assume, well, you just want me to go back and change the past, but what if that's not the request? What if people aren't even asking us to pay back anything for the past? What if people are just asking us for acknowledgement and accountability? Do you know how much peace divides a person? No, we can't change the past, but the way that we live in the present can very well affect how the past rears itself now. I'll read that text again. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Y'all, we don't want to, but we have to. We have to talk about confession. No, not not confession like you see in Catholicism where they go to the one guy and confess their sins for some reason to that priest who is not our mediator, that's Jesus. But I mean, real confession about our sins to one another and to God. Now, we've talked about it before, but I don't think we realize just how vital confession is. First of all, what you have to understand as a Christian is that confession is at the root of all saving faith. At the root of your saving faith is the acknowledgement of the need of a Savior. It is the acknowledgement of your own dependency on God. You cannot be a Christian, you cannot have a Savior and not also realize that you needed one in the first place. Confessing your sin, repenting of those sins is vital to your Christianity. So vital that if there is no repentance and there is no confession, there is no faith. There is no Christianity without those things. I've seen several times where people have either tried to stage some sort of intervention with a person or forcibly put that person in a rehab for an addiction And based on my experience, it is an extremely high fail rate. Now, why is that? Because if you stage an intervention, if you have to put somebody in rehab because they don't want to go, you know the problem? They don't think they need to. And you can put them in rehab and you can do an intervention, but it is not until they realize that they are desperately in need to be saved that they will actually take hold of what you're trying to offer them. And unfortunately, most people don't even see that there's a problem in their lives. Most people don't even think that there's a need for change. Last week we talked about repentance, but I want you to understand just how closely hand in hand these two things go. Our natural springboard reaction to our wrong should be confession, not cover-up. should be confession. Yeah, what they do in the world, they cover up, they'll lend funds to people, they'll sweep it under the rug. That's what the world does. But when there is sin in our lives, there should not be this reaction, let me cover it up, but let me confess it to someone. 
that I trust. Let me offer confession unto God because no matter how much I try to hide it, no matter how much I try to pretend that the feelings are not there, that the thoughts are not there, it is God who knows my heart. And the more I try to cover up what he already sees, the more I'll fracture my relationship with him. All of us have known something about somebody and you were just waiting for them to tell the truth. And they think you don't know. And you give them opportunity after opportunity just to tell the truth. You give them hints in your window and they just keep lying because they think you don't know. What does that do to your relationship with them? It breaks it down. Not just because they did wrong, because you're giving them the opportunity to confess it, but it's once you saw, you don't even want to tell me the truth. How can I trust this relationship? We should lead the charge in confession, y'all. Now, I know you're probably wondering, all right, Brandon, why is confession even important? There's several reasons. One of them is confession frees us from the poison that guilt and hidden sin fills us with. You can say what you want. Covering it up is harder than confessing all day long. It may change how people look at you. It may change how people view you. But just confessing it, it releases the poison that sin has on the inside. It prevents us from having to live our lives defensively, hoping that no one will figure out what is really going on. It also frees us from being under anybody's power who found out about what we were trying to cover up. But it also keeps us consistent in that transparency encourages honesty and it promotes accountability. There is the confession we do to God where we acknowledge our sins, but there is also the confession that we've been called to do with one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Look at James' assertion here that he makes. He says that we should be confessing our sins to one another. Why is that? I'm already confessing my sins to God. Why do I need to confess to the other brothers and sisters in the faith? Well, again, there are several reasons why. But the main reason is the sins that you don't share, you are bound to try to mask. That doesn't mean, by the way, just so we're clear, that does not mean confessing every sin to every Christian brother or sister, that's not, we don't want you doing that. Different Christians and different relationships are at different levels of maturity. But it does at least mean that you are sharing with the people who are closest to you. Think about it like this. If you are walking for some reason through a trail one day and you see a flame spark in the woods it is probably not wise for you to say, oh, I'll wait until it's a fire before I do anything about it. 
I'll wait until it's a full-fledged forest fire until I alert the responsible parties. No. At the first sign of that spark, you have to share what you saw. Because you know a small flame like a small sin is easier to control when you first notice it. If we make a habit as Christians as confessing our sins, then we are getting the assistance we need when that fire is just a flame. Flames, y'all, are easier to put out when they're small and when you have some help. But unfortunately, far too often, in our attempt to put out these flames that start to grow, and as we fan them and try to cover them up, what we thought would hide them causes them to spread. And now that one sin that you were trying to cover up in that one area of your life has now spread so much that you're trying to cover up everything and somebody can't even ask you how you're doing without you thinking that they know something about you. And in that position you're in, you're right where Satan wants you to be. It's just like we saw in the garden. The second they sin, he has the leverage over them. And God asks them, where are you? Where have you been? And it is their natural tendency because they have sinned to cover it up. Y'all, confession is not easy, but it's necessary. Can you imagine a scene like we see where we have all of these people <coughs> they're all standing as Israelites around each other. They've sent themselves off separately away from the foreigners and they are all confessing their sins against God to him vertically, but they're also confessing their sins to one another horizontally. Some of us are probably cringing at that very idea, but I would like to present to you in a less formal and less intimidating way. What if we don't have to come together and we shout out all our sins jointly and we're screaming them out vertically to God and horizontally? What if it happens more naturally? When Christians are in constant healthy fellowship with one another, then I believe when there is real trust there, you create a safe enough space where it just feels like confessional time. But even in conversation, it happened this last Wednesday. Out of the natural course of fellowship, there's laughing, there's joking, there's joy, but then there's also revelation. It's that revelation of, I didn't even realize that this that we're talking about, I, I need to work on that. And people now are holding you accountable to work on it. I didn't know that this was something that, that, that was flawed or sinful in my life. And now, because I'm in fellowship, I don't even feel like I'm being judged. I feel like I have supporters who are behind me, who are undergirding me and encouraging me. No, you can do this and you have our help. And I like what it says 
in that James text. It says confessing your sins brings healing. It brings healing. Look, I'm talking about the kind of spaces where there is no judgment. There is no false sense of security. It's understood we're all sinners. We're all flawed and we will all pray for each other. Healing. And, and look, James is not just meaning physical healing here. I definitely think that that is an element, but I think the larger healing that he's talking about is that confessing your sins brings about an emotional healing, a spiritual healing that we desperately need. It heals others who have been wounded by the sins of other people as well. How can you feel connected to your church without trusting that you can confess your sins in those safe spaces? And if you don't feel like your church is a safe enough space for that, then maybe you need to find a space that is safe for that. These people separated from themselves from the foreigners and they confessed to the members of their faith family their sins. That level of openness that we have with one another affects the level of relationship that we have with one another. And no, you don't need to open your heart to every single person. Keith, my neighbor, is a great guy, but I ain't confessing nothing to Keith. He's a Christian, but I don't be telling him what I'm going through. But you need to have a tight network of believers in a a right, tight-knit community that says, I can come to you and share without reservation. And look, you may say, all right, let's get over the confession stuff. That's enough. Let's move on. But I really want to hone in on this point. Because, yes, they confess their sins. But they also confess the sins of the people that came before them. And I think this is where things are probably going to get a little controversial. And I promise you, I don't ever intend on being controversial, but we have to look at it with the lens of what this text is actually saying. What is the point of confessing the sins of your ancestors to God or one another when you're not the one who did it? Because, like I said in the beginning, just because I'm not responsible for the past doesn't mean I'm not accountable to the past. And what a disingenuous attitude it is for anyone to say that didn't have anything to do with me. When I worked at the school, we would always have these young girls who would come from this boarding home and they had been abused, they had been mistreated, they had been neglected. And we were always told to be sensitive with our students, but we were told even more so to be extra sensitive and cautious when it came to our girls from there because they had been through things and they had seen things that we had never seen and experienced. And I'll never forget one day, um, one of the girls from that home showed up with blue hair and blue hair, of course, was not in our code of conduct. And, you know, I was a stickler for the handbook. So I saw, I simply said as calm as possible because this was, uh, she was a student of mine. I was like, oh, you know, you can't have blue hair. And I just walked out. You would have thought that (laughs) I had committed a crime because just those simple words had caused an eruption of emotions for her. 
She was upset. She was distraught. Because I didn't realize that that simple instruction was triggering. Now, I'm going to be honest, because I'm not going to be like, oh, I was hoity-toity, Mr. Believe, and I was like, oh, I understand. I was mad, because I was like, you know good and well I wasn't trying to offend you. But then one of the counselors, you know, just explained to me, this particular person had been hurt very specifically in this way by men. I wasn't the person that had hurt her. Even in that moment, I wasn't intending on doing so. But as a Christian, regardless of what I feel about it, I have a duty and an accountability to be sensitive to what has happened. Now, you may wonder, well, if I'm not the cause of the hurt or the trauma, if if I didn't do it, then how can I be sensitive? Well, I would say that the conversation would typically go like this. And you want to be as balanced as possible. Because everybody you're going to come in contact with has something. Whether you look like the person or somebody else looks like the person or you sound like the person or you smell like the person or you got the same name. Everybody has life, layers and context. Your job with everybody is to be as sensitive about that as possible. And if someone says, well, this thing you said or what you did, it made me feel this way. It is not to say, well, that ain't what I meant. It is to say, well, I'm sorry that that happened to you. But let me just reassure you that whatever they did and whoever they were, I'm not them. And I am sorry that that happened to you. In the context of that conversation that I had with that young lady, I just told her, look, I'm sure whatever happened to you was terrible, but I can assure you my intention was not to do that, and I guarantee you I don't ever intend on hurting you in that way. It is something that simple that may not reestablish faith that that person has in the trauma of their past, But when it comes to trusting other people who remind them of the folks that had hurt them, that little thing might give them hope. That little thing may give them that pause of peace to think that they can move on. Listen, I want to be clear about this. Me confessing the sins of my ancestors does not absolve them from the past. I also want to be clear. Confessing the sins of my ancestors or even acknowledging the way that they sinned, even if it affected the way I live, it also doesn't absolve me of my own personal sin either. What it does is it acknowledges it enough where all parties can be accountable And it also acknowledges that your sin that you might be committing now, that you might be wrestling through now, it might be happening to you because of the sin of others. That's not to say that you're off the hook, but it at least allows us to say we understand the context. 
A parent who, through bad life decisions, works themselves into poverty is directly responsible for the life that that child is born into. If a child is born into poverty, that child should not be penalized for what was not their fault. And that means that we have to acknowledge that if and when that child may make bad life choices later on, that they are accountable for those choices in that moment, but we've also got to acknowledge that the place that they were born into also has a lot of influence on them. And our model isn't just, you made a bad decision, that's on you. It's, you made a bad decision, but let's look at how your life influenced you to this point. And what can we as believers do about it? Very often, where you see people and what they have grown into, you have no idea the conditions in which they were planted. It is our job as Christians, yes, to acknowledge where people are, but to also acknowledge how they got there. And I think in doing this, we are epitomizing just who Jesus was, even up to the point on the cross. He's hanging on the cross as the sacrificial offering. What does he say? Forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Yes, they were accountable for their sins, but the only way they would get freedom from those sins was through Jesus. He doesn't say they dug themselves in this hole, let them get themselves out. He is God in the flesh. Forgive them because they don't realize the magnitude of what they're doing. But I'm going to die for them anyway. I'm going to offer myself up anyway. Because without him, they have no hope. So yes, that bad decision is not just a bad decision, but it is a reflection on the sinful state that every single one of us was born into. And this is going to be a challenge for us as Christians. Why can't I forget where I came from? Because I wasn't born saved. I was born a sinner. And I needed to be saved. I don't know what kind of world we think we're going into when we're trying to witness to people that we think we're going out to witness to Christians. We're going out to witness to sinners. Who are in desperate need to be saved. And I'll close with this. If there is anybody out there who you think they're too far gone, that their sin is too deep, that no, 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 you've gone across the line. You can't be saved. Is there anybody that you think that about? You don't need to be witnessing to anybody at all. You need to be trying to get saved. Because if you think anybody else is too far gone, you better pray to God you, not yourself. This is what the Lord has called us to. 
I can't forget. I'm reminded when we think about Paul, as benevolent as we see them, as great as the work that he did was, the Lord kept him with some sort of physical affliction that he was reminded of. No matter how he prayed to God about it, no matter how he tried to escape whatever that physical infirmity was, finally he came to the revelation. Satan wants me to forget where I came from. Satan wants me to forget who I was, to forget what I did, to forget who I hurt, but God in his grace has given me an infirmity, something that every time I look at it, I remember what I did, who I was, where I came from, and by the grace of God, I am who I am now. I don't know what the Lord has given you to remind you of who you used to be, but hold on to it. Because Satan comes to lift you higher than what you should be. But all of the reminders that God gives you in those days when you think that you've arrived and can't nobody tell you nothing, there's a thorn. And God puts it there by his grace. And that means that now, if I can walk around knowing that I have this thorn, this affliction, this past, that when I encounter all sorts of people and personalities and afflictions and sins, that I don't have to encourage them to sweep theirs under the rug because I haven't swept mine under the rug. It is dealing with the complexity of the people in who they are, how they got to where they are, but also knowing that it is only through the testimony of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that they can go from where they were to where God wants them to be. And that is the testimony for all of us. So my encouragement is don't forget where you came from. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, as we have reflected on this word, God, it is so vitally important that we not forget that we not forget how we got here, God. We did not get here on our own. It was not because of any goodness of our own. It was not because of any benevolence that we had on our own, God. We were broken sinners who had no hope. And through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been given a hope. And God, it might be very easy for us to attempt that even in this time as we have grown in our walk with Christ to just forget pretend like we don't know what the past was or where we were or what we came from God but the more we try to forget who we were the more useless we'll be God it is the humility of our testimony that allows us to share how and what you saved us for and from and so God it is in in this moment that I pray a twofold prayer, God, for those of us in this room who are not Christians, God, who have that fear of confessing our sins. Let's just be let's just be clear. There are areas in your life that you might be a victim, but I guarantee every single one of us more than being a victim, we are a violator. 
More than being a victim, we are a victimizer. We have violated the law of God. We have victimized others, God. And more than anything, more than us being offended by the wrongs of others, we have offended. God, none of us is ever going to be saved with this idea that we are the victim. We will only be saved when we realize that we are our worst enemy, God. That we, we have caused the problem. Yes, there may be layers to it, but we all have personal sin that needs to be dealt with. That's the first thing. And there is only way, one way that sin would be dealt with, God, and that will be that it is atoned for by Jesus Christ on the cross. We cannot pay that debt. But secondly, God, my prayer is for all of the people in this room who call themselves Christians and who identify themselves as believers, that we would adapt that same confessional mind and heart that we saw in the text that confesses our sins, not when they are too much for us to bear and manage, but even when we feel or see or hear a hint of something wrong in our lives, that we don't cover that up, that we don't hide it from you, God, and that we don't attempt to hide it from our brothers or sisters in Christ. In that way, God, we are offering freedom for our lives, the freedom to fully be as Christians to be used by you, and to be in relationship with one another without feeling there's that hidden barrier of sin, God. God, I do pray that these words that we have shared today will be um, just an encouragement for us as we go forward, as we go on in our lives, as we seek to do the work that you called us to do, God, that we would do this work faithfully, that we would do this work with the conscience of knowing that we are where we are. We are who we are by the grace of God. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And everybody said.